host for Megan the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten and the unforgettable. This is it. This is the last episode of Megan the Movies for 2019, the last of the decade. We have a lot in store for you folks. Wherever you are, I hope you're having a great Christmas Eve, and for many more of you, it is Christmas Day currently. Hope all is well with you all. This is a pretty packed episode. I'll have two reviews for you, two alternative Christmas selections, the original classic Black Christmas from Bob Clark and the 1959 gem Santa Claus, directed by Rene Cardona. I'll share with you my favorite films and video games for the past year. There will be a top 10 regarding my favorite Megan the Movie selections for the year. There will be an announcement for the content I intend to cover in 2020. Last but not least, the new Wing Tuck D's for the Megan the Movies Hall of Fame. I was going to do a top 10 films of the decade, but I recently submitted that list to Film Autonomy. I don't want to steal their thunder, so I'll post on social media when they publish my list. Without further ado, let's get into the movies. is being held at a sorority house. We look through the eyes of an unknown man climbing into the attic of the house. During the party, the house receives bizarre, perverse phone calls. The girls in the house become uneasy after the voiceover. The phone threatens to kill them. One of the girls decides to head upstairs to pack for her trip on Christmas break. She is attacked in the room, her screams muffled by the plastic wrap the killer uses to suffocate her. Her body is taken up into the attic. After first reporting the disappearance to the police, the girls are dismissed by an indifferent police officer. After coming back with more people concerned over Claire's disappearance, Lieutenant Fuller takes on the case for himself. Meanwhile, more girls are killed, including the alcoholic house mother, Mrs. McHenry. It all leads to paranoia and survival instinct with the remaining girls, Jess, Barb, and Phyllis. Slasher movies based on holidays are so commonplace that they have become cliched. Thanksgiving, April Fool's Day, Halloween, Leprechaun, Uncle Sam, and My Bloody Valentine are some of the big examples. All we need now are movies for Yon Kippur. Heck, someone can make a Kwanzaa horror film for the exploitation crowd. Black Christmas, a.k.a. Silent Night, Evil Night, was the film that pretty much started it all. Much like with When a Stranger Calls, this film is heavily based on the urban legend of the babysitter who receives phone calls from a killer inside the house. Clark makes a few liberties with the legend and creates an intriguing mystery. The film makes for an interesting double feature for holiday viewing with a Christmas story, which was also directed by Clark. 
Many who only know Clark through A Christmas Story or the Porky's films might be surprised by his early work in the horror genre. Death Dream and Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things are some prime horror selections. I would also recommend Murder by Decree, starring Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, who is investigating the Whitechapel murders in Victorian England. While the setup and execution of the murders are by the numbers, there are moments that are genuinely creepy. There is a murder where the killer uses a glass unicorn ornament. The scene where Jess meets the killer and all we see is light showing the crazed red eye of the killer through a crevice in an open door is one of the scariest images in any horror film. That first kill with a plastic wrap is a striking image and made for standout movie poster fodder. That little detail of some of the plastic vacuumed into the victim's mouth makes the murder method all the more horrifying. Olivia Hussey as Jess stands as the prototype for the likes of Laurie Strode in Halloween or Ginny in Friday the 13th Part 2. But Jenny, when she is at the climax with the killer, really gives you a sense that she's running on basic survival instinct. A few months ago, I had a brief exchange with Miss Hussey on Twitter. I complimented her work on Black Christmas, and she was kind enough to take the time and respond back. Margot Kidder as Barb stands out as the alpha female. She's the one who eggs on the killer when they're on the phone together. Kidder may be best known as Lois Lane in the classic Superman films with Christopher Reeve. Andrea Martin was a nice surprise to see in this horror film. I mostly know her from SCTV, which was way better a sketch show than Saturday Night Live. Don't at me. Funny enough, Martin starred in Cannibal Girls, which came out a year before Black Christmas. Uh, She appeared alongside Eugene Levy and was under the direction of Ivan Reitman in that film. While Bob Clark was better known for the likes of Porky's and A Christmas Story, going back to his earlier films is quite a trip. Here we see one of the underrated horror directors at work with this holiday slasher. For those looking for an alternative to Jason or Freddy, Black Christmas is a film for those who are partial to the films of Argento or Bava. Whether you're in a cave or behind a million mountains, Santa Claus sees you through his master eye and invites you to his magic wonderland. See Santa Claus in his magic motion picture come past the doors of his towering castle into a fantastic crystal laboratory filled with weird and wonderful secrets into his heavenly workshop, the most marvelous toy factory of all. Watch his battle with a mischievous demon who wants to get children into trouble. You'd better watch out. You'll want to shout about the picture that won the Golden Gate Family Film Award. Everyone everywhere is waiting for the K. Gordon Murray presentation, Santa Claus in Eastman Colorscope. Saturday and Sunday matinee only at a theater near you. Santa Claus keeps an eye on the children of the world from his outer space satellite, for he is unable to travel to Earth except for on Christmas Eve. Meanwhile, Pitch, a devil minion, is ordered by Lucifer to Earth to turn children against Santa. With the help of Merlin the Wizard, Santa helps stop both the schemes of Pitch as well as the children under his influence in order to bring presents to the children around the world. This is all you need to know going into this movie. It's an interesting experience, to say the least. Santa Claus in Mexico was not at all like it was in America. The character in the eyes of the Mexican populace was a figment of marketing imagination, which made making a movie all the more persuasive. 
from the actor-director pairing that gave us Night of the Bloody Apes in 1969, they made this movie pretty much to be screened in American markets. Sure, the movie stands as one of the bottom 100 movies on the Internet Movie Database, but as we've seen with the likes of Michael Bay, Paul W.S. Anderson, and Zack Snyder, bad movies can still bring in a lot of money. Back in its day, Santa Claus was no different. Thanks to American producer Kay Gordon Murray, the film brought in many box office dollars. The trick was to only have one or two screenings of the film every few years over the course of three decades. Instilling the sense that screening the movie was a rare event helped rake in money through kitty matinees. With the exception of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, this is the only film to use that method and be successful. In the not too distant future, way down in deep 13, Dr. Forrester and TV's Frank were hatching an evil scheme. They hired a temp by the name of Mike, just a regular Joe they didn't like. Their experiment needed a good test case, so they caught him on the noggin and they shot him in the space. Geeky has heard of Mystery Science Theater 3000. They should at least recognize the familiar silhouette of a guy in two robots standing in the front row of a theater. It's iconography that is almost universally recognized. For fans of the show, this episode was their introduction to the film. This episode has some of the funniest lines and most esoteric of references. Boys and girls from England have rotten teeth. Oh, what? The group from France stinks to high heaven. I've only seen this movie with a riffing from Mike Crow and Servo, but I would not be opposed to seeing it without the riffing. The movie has some of the most bizarre imagery this side of Salvador Dali, a telescope with a creepy eye for a lens and an antenna dish with an ear are only two of the many freakish sights you'll see in this film. The Laughing Reindeer Will Induce Nightmares. The movie is available to watch on YouTube on four channels at least, uh, given the public domain status. The MSC3K episode is also available, available for viewing. I would recommend finding the Volume 16 box set, which features the Santa Claus film, along with three other episodes. On the Santa Claus disc, there is a retrospective on the film featuring Kevin Murphy and Larry Blemeyer, the director of The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, that gives a great background of this film. The portrayal of Santa in the film by actor Jose Elias Moreno is a lively performance. Jose Luis Aguirre has his moments as the devilish devilish pitch. Their performances help sell the movie and they have to be given credit for making the movie more entertaining than it has any right to be. While the surreal imagery is enough uh, for a lot of cult fans, the riffing of Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Trace Beaulieu adds much to the selection. With its wide availability, there's no reason not to see both versions of the film. This episode of MST3K stands as one of the more accessible films to bring new people into the series, as well as one that stands up to repeated viewings.
2019 was a decent year when it came to movie releases and video games. We saw the birth of some new franchises, a slew of unnecessary cash grab remakes, and some unexpected surprises, both on the film front and gaming front. Uh, Some of my favorite movies of the year in no particular order, uh, Alita Battle Angel, I was not at all familiar with the source material, be it the anime or the manga. I went to see this film based on the opinions of one of my friends, Cha-Cha, who is an anime freak. After the credits rolled, I was hooked. The world building, the direction of Robert Rodriguez, Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Mahershala Ali. Count me as one of the Alita army. I want a sequel or a streaming service to continue this world that's been established. There's just so much more to explore. Uh, Next one, uh, Avengers Endgame. After 11 years of build-up, character development, the MCU brings the Thanos story to a close. With this climactic confrontation, you had closure to these central characters, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man. With the crowd I was sitting with, we were cheering like we were in a wrestling match. When the likes of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange made their return, the audience went bonkers. They were throwing babies in the air. And with that ending, I'm kind of done with comic book movies. The only one of this new phase that caught my eye was Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Next one, uh, John Wick 3. This movie will pump you up. It will get you psyched. Keanu Reeves kills it as Wick. Supporting roles like Ian McShane, Halle Berry, and Angelica Houston add so much to this continuously building world. The action sequence with the attack dogs is the best action sequence of the year. The ending could lead to so many options and directions for this series. I would love to see a four-room style anthology film for the Continental Hotel. Uh, By the time I was done watching this movie, I wanted to throw punch a grizzly bear. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw. This spinoff of the Fast and Furious film stands out as one of the best buddy films in recent memory. Uh, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Staten play off well of one another uh, with an antagonism that recalls the hitman's bodyguard. If you're a fan of Shane Black, be it Lethal Weapon or The Nice Guys, then this is a movie you'll enjoy. Uh, Last for the movies, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I never would have thought I'd enjoy this film as much as I did. I was intrigued by the Pokemon equivalent to Who Framed Roger Rabbit concept and was surprised by how well director Rob Letterman and company pulled it off. With next year's Sonic the Hedgehog, I can only hope this is the beginning of a Smash Brothers cinematic universe. Alright, for video games, kind of the same principle. These are my favorites in no particular order. Uh, First off, The Outer Worlds. As a fan of Fallout New Vegas, I was anticipating great things from Obsidian when they announced this game. I love it when my most anticipated game turns out to be my favorite game of the year. Quirky characters, eye-catching environments, a variety of quests, different approaches to a problem, the depth of customizing my character. I felt This felt like what Fallout 4 should have been. Borderlands 3. The third installment continues the bonkers world of the Vault Hunters. You have returning characters like Lilith, Zero, and Claptrap, and four new characters to play as. I appreciate the villains taking the piss out of YouTubers. Uh, The dialogue feels like real writing as opposed to just taking clips from from Know Your Meme. Uh, Flack, the Beastmaster, is awesome. Uh, Dark Quest 2. I never played the first one, uh, but this game serves as a nice prep for more complex fare like Darkest Dungeon. 
In fact, think of this game as Darkest Dungeon with training wheels. Uh, with the right abilities and the right crew, taking down orcs is pretty easy. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack 6. Uh, Jackbox returns with another set of amusing games that make great party entertainment. Uh, this past Thanksgiving, I got to have some playtime with my mom, sister, niece, and nephew, and we had a ball. Uh, despite the fact that family mode was off. Oops. A uh, few of the games might be too esoteric, uh, dictionary and role models specifically, but Trivia Murder Party and Joke Boat make for more accessible options. And last, Ghostbusters the Video Game Remaster. Yeah, 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 this is a remaster, but it's a fantastic game and one of the best based on a film IP. Here in Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson back together goes a long way. Despite being 10 years old, it is still a fun game to play, and I'm looking forward to the return of the multiplayer. Hall of Fame inductees. Before I announce this year's class, let's quickly look at the previously inducted honorees. The duo of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill, Goblin, Harry Manfredini, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The criteria for being inducted are as follows. First, most appearances in a film reviewed. Uh, This year, we're counting those who appeared in between six to ten of the films that were looked at this past year, and also the most streamed episode. Uh, That's the total number of mobile plays, plays, and downloads. All right, for the first set of criteria, we have seven inductees. When I was doing the post-Thanksgiving episode of Uwe Boll, I did it without realizing this qualifies him for the Hall of Fame. Well, congrats to Uwe Boll on being entered into the Mechanic Movies Hall of Fame. from providing the music for the films of Enzo G. Castellari, the duo of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill, among others. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Guido and Mauricio De Angelis, also known as Oliver Onions. Below us, fly through the air, melody of 
noticed when going through this year's inductees, it was a stunt-heavy group. Rightfully so, since stunt work is long overdue for having a spot on the Academy Awards. I briefly remember the stunt work industry having their own awards show hosted by Dennis Hopper, but alas, our next inductee is one of the all-time greats when it comes to stunt work. Credits include The Italian Job, Blazing Magnum, Highway Racer, Watch Out We're Mad, and GoldenEye. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Remy Julien. figures of black cinema before people praised the on-screen appearances of blade falcon and black panther this guy was a hero for young black men to aspire to be it is my honor to induct fred the hammer williamson into the mac in the movies hall of fame duos, but this next honoree is a quartet of brothers. Brothers who are among the most revered stuntmen in Italian cinema. Those whom these siblings have worked with include, but aren't limited to, Lucio Fulci, Sergio Leone, Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill, Woody Strode, Umberto Lenzi, Robert Altman, Robin Williams, Enzo G. Castellari, Fabio Testi, Lee Van Cleef, Keanu Reeves, Bruno Mattai, and more. Please welcome Alberto, Roberto, Arnaldo, and Ottaviano, the Aqua Brothers. inductee, this one a man held in high regard among his peers and film colleagues. When he wasn't performing stunt work, he was a heavy in films like Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, Contraband, and The Heroin Busters. It's a privilege to honor Romano Papo into the Mega the Movies Hall of Fame.
inductee of the first criteria, maybe one of the lesser known stuntmen in the Italian film industry. He's worked under the likes of Castellari, Ruggiero Diodato, from Polizio Tesci to Spaghetti Westerns, he's done it all. Please welcome Rocco Lero. to the episode that was the most streamed between plays, mobile plays, and downloads, we honor a director who innovated the Palizio Teshi, Mr. Enzo G. Castellari. class of 2019. In 2019, this podcast covered the neighborhood of 90 films. Here are my 10 selections for this year on Mac and the Movies. Number 10, The Omega Man, directed by Boris Segal. Not the most accurate adaptation of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend, but certainly the most entertaining with a great performance by Charlton Heston in the lead role. Number 9, Tunnel Rats, directed by Uwe Boll. By far, Uwe Boll's best film, a claustrophobic, nightmarish presentation of one of the most unenviable tasks given to soldiers in the Vietnam War, having to navigate and clear out the underground Viet Cong tunnels. Number eight, The Untouchables, directed by Brian De Palma. A wonderful cops and robbers film with peak performances by Kevin Costner, Andy Garcia, Robert De Niro, Sean Connery, and the late Billy Drago. A script by David Mamet is the cherry on top. Number seven, Three the Hard Way, directed by Gordon Parks Jr. A black cinema action film featuring three of the genre's top heroes, Jim Brown, Fred the Hammer Williamson, and Jim Kelly. This trio were superheroes before the cinematic debuts of Blade, Falcon, and the Black Panther. Number six, City of the Living Dead, directed by Lucio Fulci. Fulci, at his most atmospheric, adapting elements of Lovecraftian horror, great script by Dardando Sacchetti and unforgettable gore by Gino De Rossi, Catriona McColl, Christopher George, and Carla De Mejo head a gang cast. Number five, Watch Out, We're Mad, directed by Marcello Fondato. For me, this is the definitive film for the Spencer and Hill duo. A great mix of action and comedy, a catchy score by Oliver Onions, some great stunt work under the supervision of Remy Julien. Number four, A Bay of Blood, directed by Mario Bava. 
my favorite Mario Bava film and one of the best of the giallo genre. It's everyone for themselves as heirs to a recently deceased landowner engage in a battle royal to claim the land as their own. A whimsical score by Stelvio Cipriani. Without this film, there would be no Friday the 13th. Number three, The Big Racket, directed by Enzo G. Castellari. Peak Polizio Tesci. Enzo G. Castellari and his knack for unrelenting action. Fabio Testi kicks all sorts of ass. Maurizio and Guido De Angelis give one of the best music scores in genre cinema. My favorite film by Castellari. Number two, Delicatessen from the directing duo of Junet and Caro. A post-apocalyptic French romantic comedy involving cannibalism. Uh, this is the directorial debut for the pair, and they give a lighthearted glimpse at life in France after the end of the world. Memorable characters, a quaint setting, and a lovely Parisian soundscape gives the film a quirky charm. And my number one pick of the year, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, directed by the Terrys, Gilliam and Jones. Undoubtedly one of the greatest comedies ever made, infinitely quotable, the Pythons are at the top of their game. How could this not be the best movie I reviewed for Meg and the Movies this year? As we draw this episode to a close, let's take a look at what to expect in the new year. I want to focus on a few franchises. Uh, The last franchise I touched upon was Ghostbusters, and that was all the way back in episode three. I definitely want to look at some of the big ones like Alien, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Predator, Evil Dead, as well as uh, maybe one of the other universal monsters, maybe Frankenstein's monster or the Wolfman. Then you have uh, smaller ones like Leprechaun, Puppet Master, or Maniac Cop. I will wrap up uh, the films of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill, but that will be closer to the end of the year. I plan to go far back to the silent era and comb through as many more of Fritz Lang's films as possible, uh, following that, more of his sound pictures. Moral hysteria films like Reefer Madness and Cocaine Themes could be a lot of fun. Uh, And then, of course, uh, I want to look at comic book movies, but ones outside of the DC and Marvel persuasion. And on that note, that ends this episode, uh, final episode of 2019. Like last year, I will be taking a hiatus. I will return on Monday, January 16th. That episode will be looking at the first trio of zombie films from George A. Romero. If you enjoy this content and would like this program to grow, consider a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Any questions or inquiries can be sent via my Gmail. All of that in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Megan the Movies. Take care, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year.